it is Christmas time, and I'll probably be theming my messages a little bit more in that direction through the month of December. And uh, this is one that just jumped out at me the other day that I felt like the Lord really laid on my heart. The scripture says in Luke 2, verses beginning with verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. When it says all the world, it means all of their world. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. I would point out to you today uh, very briefly that it was so important that Jesus be born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem is the place that the scripture said the Messiah would be born. And so he could not be born in Nazareth. And isn't it amazing that God could move on an, a ruler to tax an entire group of people simply because he had a prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Notice this. And she brought forth her brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So I am preaching today from this subject. It's a simple thought, but when I felt directed to the Savior in a stable. The Savior in a stable. Sometimes God comes from unexpected places. Amen. Lord, we love you. We're thankful to be in your presence today. And I pray that you would help us now, Lord, as we go forward in this service, that you would anoint your word today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what your spirit would say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's still a conundrum, and it has left many people discombobulated. I'm trying to think of all the words I could say that are along those lines right now. <laughs> that um, specifically the Jewish people, that God would come in such a manner as he came. They didn't expect him to come like that. They had a preconceived notion of how he would come. They thought it would be with pomp and circumstance. They thought it would be in great glory and the whole world taking note that the Messiah had come. And yet, Jesus was born in very humble circumstances, wasn't he? He came to us in a manner that was less than 
um, less than grand. And rather, it was quite humbling. Because of the travel of so many people during that time, there was no room in the inn. And so when they arrived in Bethlehem, and Mary about to deliver that child, the Christ child, uh, they wound up in a stable, and they wound up laying the babe in a manger, wrapping him in swaddling clothes. Every once in a while, we get taken by surprise. Is there anybody here that's ever been taken by surprise? We O'Connells are generally known as a, as a very large people, very tall very strong. They recruited me to play college football, but I turned them down. I said, I got to call a God to preach the word. And I'm <laughs> no, we've never been big people. And um, my mother's side of the family is the ones that have particularly afflicted me. <laughs> and um, my my mom is... Five foot. Um, my uncle is five foot four. He says he's five foot five, but we don't believe him. We know the truth. Um, I'm five six. My brother, some of y'all act like y'all don't believe that. <laughs> if you can't believe me when I tell my height, how am I supposed to preach the word? My brother is. Uh, the tallest of us he is he's probably around five eight and uh, uh, my grandmother is four foot eight and my aunt is four foot eleven so you can see we've got quite a heritage <laughs> of being small people and um that said, everybody who knows Nina O'Connell knows that Nina O'Connell is one of those, one of the reasons they came out with a saying years ago that says, dynamite comes in small packages. Because my mom is dynamite, and, and her family is like that. They're great people. And, and, uh, but I wanted to tell you a little story particularly about my aunt, 4 foot 11. When I was in school, we lived in around the Houston area, a little suburb of Houston called Santa Fe, and um, caddy corner to my house, there was the field that we all went to after school, and we played ball, and and all those good things, had a good time, and uh, every once in a while, there were these older kids who would come along, and they would uh, want to play with us, and but they always wound up taking over the game, you know, people like, take it over all the time, and and they would take it over, and they would, before long, they pushed us out. And, and so one day they were doing this, and back before I got delivered, I was that typical person that if I felt like you were pushing on me because I was small, I'd, I'd want to rise up and get in your face about it a little bit. Then I learned that when you're small, there's only certain limits you can push, you know. So I, I told this guy, I said, I said, we're tired of y'all coming out here. And I was probably about eight, nine years old. We're tired of y'all coming out here and 
and pushing us out of the way and taking our ball and, and playing and and uh and he laughed at me and he knocked me down and uh he was he was i don't know a, a teenager and uh i said well i know how to fix him and i went home to my house which is right caddy corner of that field and i got my aunt linda all four foot 11 inches of Aunt Linda. And I said, I need you to come with me. And so we go over, back over to the field. And I'm crying. And I told her, I said, they've taken our ball. He knocked me down. And, and oh, man, she went off. She got up in that guy's face. She was had her finger pointed at him. She was telling him how it was going to be. And when it was all said and done, and, and she told him what was going to happen if it wasn't the way she said when it was all said and done, he handed me the ball, and 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 uh, they went their way. And she said, if they bother you anymore, you just come tell me. And Mighty Mouse marched off back to the house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was pretty proud of herself. <laughs> and, uh, but here's the thing, they never saw it coming. Matter of fact, when we came walking across the yard, and they looked and saw my little aunt... <laughs> walking toward them she was in high school at that time and they saw my aunt walking towards them uh they even snickered and laughed like what is she gonna do but when she got there buddy she let them have it and uh, she let them know what she was going to do they never saw it coming and sometimes there's just things in life you don't see coming you know you 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 turn out at the at the green light and somebody runs the red light and they hit your car or uh, some accident, you know, um, when you've got kids, uh, famous last words that you hear oftentimes are, hey, dad, watch this. And I've heard that a few times. Hey, dad, watch this. And it not turn out the way they expected it to turn out because they didn't see it coming. Um, there's a story. It's a true story. It happened just a few years ago in Virginia excuse me, Vermont, there's a Vermont man who uh, was known to be just barely scraping by and, and didn't have very much money, it seemed, and, and was pretty, uh, he was pretty uh, much of a penny pincher. And matter of fact, so much so that he would hold his coat together in the winter with safety pins, and he had a long-time habit known in their community of foraging for firewood uh, during the winter, just going around town grabbing firewood wherever he could uh, so he could keep his house warm. Vermont, it gets just a little bit cold up there. But he also had a knack, it turned out, for picking stocks. And it was a talent that became public after his death when he left $6 million to his local library and hospital. The investments that had been made by Mr. Ronald Reed, who was a former gas station employee and janitor. He died in June a few years ago at age 92. Those investments grew substantially over the years, his attorney said. And Reed, who was known for his flannel shirt and baseball cap, never gave anybody any hint of the size of his fortune. He was unbelievably frugal, his attorney told them. Sometimes when he would come to my office, he would park so far away simply because he didn't want to have to pay the meter. 
He left $4.8 million to the Brattleboro, Vermont Memorial Hospital and $1.2 million to the town's Memorial Library. Both of those were the largest gifts each institution has ever received. And he also left a number of smaller gifts as well. It's pretty incredible, said the hospital's development director. said, this is not something that happens to us on a regular basis. In addition to the cash that he had, he also had an antique Edison phonograph with dozens of recording drums that was worth a substantial amount of money that he left to the Drummerston Historical Society. And the president of the society was telling them in an article they wrote how beautiful the machine was and how rare it was. He was born in the small town of Drummerston in 1921. He was the first in his family to graduate from high school. He would walk and hitchhike about four miles every day, both directions from his home to the school there in Brattleboro. After military service during World War II, he returned home and he worked at a service station for 25 years and then spent 17 years as the janitor at the local J.C. Penney. He died, uh, no family, and uh, when these gifts were announced and they were given away to these various places, uh, it took everybody by surprise because sometimes help comes from the most unlikely of places. And so if you're a very wealthy person here today and you need somebody to look out for you a little bit, I'm sure we have a few in this place that would love to come look out for you. You don't take people for granted because you never know what's behind their facade. Isn't that right? You never know what's behind their facade. Um, Help, it just comes from the most unlikely of places. That's why God used a little boy by the name of Samuel to warn Eli. And he spoke to Samuel and he gave Samuel a word. Samuel heard the audible voice of God. And he was used by God to warn Eli. He said, Eli, your sons are not right. And they're taking advantage of the priesthood. And they're taking advantage of the house of God. And the Lord is going to cause there to be judgment that will come. And and Eli received that word, though it came from Samuel. God used a shepherd boy by the name of David, who had just come in from keeping sheep and was just sent as an errand boy by his father to bring food to his brothers who were on the front lines of the battle. And God used him to rise up and say, it's not right that Goliath would stand against the people of God and the armies of God. And so David said, is there not a cause? And he went out and he fought the giant Goliath and he defeated him with his sling and stone and took his head with Goliath's own sword. They never saw it coming. Goliath even made the statement. He said, what am I? Am I a dog that you would send to me a boy with, a, with stones? To, to come face me, I'm a great warrior, and yet this is who you would send to face me. He never saw it coming. Uh, Jesus was ministering one day on a hillside, and as he finished, he looked around at all the people who were gathered there, some 5,000, and he said to his disciples, we can't send them away hungry. 
What are we going to do? And they said, we don't have enough money to buy food for 5,000 people. And he said, does anybody have anything? And here came one of his disciples. He brought a boy that happened to have two fishes and five loaves of bread. And Jesus took those two fish, those five loaves of bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he multiplied it. And they fed all the people uh, till they were full. And then at the end of that, they took up the baskets that remained, 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. I think that boy made a pretty good trade that day, don't you? And it was something that they never saw coming. The disciples couldn't see it coming. The people who were there that day couldn't see it coming. Moses was a man that Satan tried to kill as an infant. And uh, the reason was because even the devil knew that God was up to something. That God was raising somebody up who would become the deliverer of Israel from the land of Egypt. And... uh, So Pharaoh made a decree that uh, he would kill all the male children born to the Hebrews. And they would, uh, when they were born, the midwives were to take them and to kill them. And and they had a problem because the midwives didn't want to do that. And so finally he he, uh, would send his soldiers in and they would even throw them into the Nile River. And uh, they would drown or they'd be eaten by crocodiles and And this is what he did. And yet uh, there was one woman who hid her child by the name of Moses. And it, it did not seem that Moses would ever grow up to become the man that he grew up to be. And that he would be used by God the way that he was used by God. He was born a slave. Not only was he born a slave, but he was born a slave that was doomed for death. And his mother... Uh, when it, she got to the end of as far as she could go with him, she put him in that little ark of bulrushes that was dabbed with pitch. And she put it into the river and allowed it to float down the river to where it was seen by Pharaoh's own daughter. And so you would think, surely this thing's over now. Yet she took that child and adopted him to be her own. He was raised He was educated in Egypt's own universities. And surely the devil thought that this one is never going to be a threat because I have put him in my environment. But I'm going to tell you, parents today who's dedicating a baby, I'm going to tell you that no matter how bad the environment around your baby gets, if you will instill in her the things of God, like Moses' parents instilled into him in the five years that they kept him till he was weaned and went to be with Pharaoh's daughter. If you will instill things of God, even in the first five years, that can be enough to keep your child in the midst of an environment that is completely anti-Christ. It can be enough. The devil thought there's no need to worry about him, surely I put him into this kind of atmosphere. Yet Moses never forgot who he was. And eventually he came back to lead the people of God out of Egyptian bondage. And in Egypt never saw it coming. And the devil never really saw it coming either. Because who would have thought that God could use somebody out of those particular 
circumstances. And I'm telling you today, God, God sometimes answers our prayers from the most unlikely of sources. Esther was a girl who became the, became the queen of Babylon. She was born to an oppressed people. She was born to a people that were living uh, subjugated to another empire. She was orphaned as a child. Her uncle was hated by the leadership of Babylon. Matter of fact, he was so hated, his name was Mordecai. He was so hated that a man by the name of Haman built the gallows that was to be used to hang Mordecai upon. And yet God used Mordecai and God used Esther who never could have imagined that she would be used in such a way. He used them to deliver their people. Those famous words that Mordecai said to Esther when she said, What can I possibly do? And he told her, he said, who knows that you haven't come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Little did she know that's exactly what God had done. God had allowed her to be placed into that palace, to be placed as that queen simply so she could be the tool through which he would save her people. Because sometimes our help comes from the most unlikely of sources. God used a simple word to save Noah and his household. He told him, he said, I want you to build an ark. God used family division to save Joseph and his family. Nobody go home and start a fight today. But he used the family division that was found between those brothers to save Joseph and to save his family. And when those brothers finally realized what they had done, and they knew that they were bowing before Joseph as he was doling out their grain and the food that would save their life, when they realized who he was and they knew what they had done, they began to cry, they began to throw themselves at his feet. They thought, surely he's going to kill us all. And yet Joseph said, no, you don't have to worry about anything because what you meant for evil... God meant for good. Because when you were thinking one thing, God was saying, I'm going to allow help to come to you from the most unlikely of sources. A boy that had been thrown into a pit. A boy sold to the slave traders. A boy that was uh, in Potiphar's house and his wife lied upon him. And so Potiphar threw him into a prison. And he wasted there for over two years at least. Joseph wasted in that prison. And and you would think there's no way that anything good can come out of all of this. Yet all of a sudden, here comes God bringing him out of a prison and allowing him to be the tool through which his family would be saved. God used persecution to prove himself to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon through Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Daniel, I preached about a little while back, Daniel, of course, was, uh, was thrown into the lion's den. He was being persecuted because he was a child of God. And those other governors did not care for him. And, and it was through that persecution that Darius uh, knew that, uh, that there was a God in Israel. And that there was a God who was mightier than he. It was uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrew children 
They were persecuted because they would not bow to that statue, that image of Nebuchadnezzar, and worship it when the music played. They said, we can only bow before one, and that is our God. You are not our God. You may be a king, but you're not our God, and we cannot bow and worship you. And they were persecuted. They were thrown into the fiery pit, and yet God used persecution that day to bring revelation to a king who said, I thought we threw three into the fire, but I see four. And the, they're all walking around, and the fourth looks like unto the Son of God. He, he, he knew that, that uh, there was something greater than him that was working in that moment. Sometimes our answers come from the most unlikely of sources. Saul was a man who was consumed with trying to destroy the early church. He, he was convinced that they were crazy. He was convinced they had no clue what they were doing. They didn't understand the scriptures, he thought. He was a learned man. And he held their coats even while they stoned Stephen, that martyr of the early church. He got letters to go to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute the early church. Yet Saul, the church destroyer, was turned into Paul, the church builder. And God sent that same man who had killed Christians to pioneer the gospel in places that it previously had not reached. God used him. Sometimes, I'm telling you today, our help comes from the most unlikely of sources. There's no way we could imagine it coming to us. There's no way we could see how God could use these sets of circumstances or these things that we are walking through to allow something good to happen. Yet when God puts his hand on something, I'm preaching to you today and I am telling you that there is no end to what our God can do if our God puts his hands on anything. There is no end to what our God can do. Habakkuk 3 and 3, if we could put that scripture on the screen, please. Habakkuk 3 and 3. This is a matter of fact, let's just back it up to verse number 1 and, and I'll read from there. This is a very special portion of scripture to me. It's one that the Lord gave me when we came to Jonesboro. Verse 2 is. It says this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon uh, something. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have to pronounce all these words? This is the verse the Lord gave me when he sent us to Jonesboro. Oh Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Just leave it there for a moment. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is, is letting us know that in the middle of everything, looking like it was all gone. In the, ever, in the middle... Of it looking like everything was shot to pieces. It was just, there was no hope left. Uh, everything good had died. Everything good was gone. And yet, he prayed the prayer. 
And he said, Lord, I heard your speech. It was a speech where the Lord was reminding him, I am the Almighty God. I am the God for whom nothing is too hard. I am the God who can do anything. And he said, Lord, I heard your speech, and I was afraid. Oh, Lord, go ahead and do it. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. He said, God, it looks like it's gone a long way, and there's no way anything good can come out of this. But, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. And I'll just go ahead and pray the prayer. Revive the work that I think is dead, God. And there may be something in your life that you think is dead. There may be something in your family that you think is dead. But I am telling you that as long as God can touch it, there is no end to it. As long as God can get his hand on it, it can come back to life. It can be revived. It can be revived. It can be revived. The Lord, when he sent us to Jonesboro, gave us that scripture and said there's a lot of seed that's fallen into the ground through the years and a lot of people that have walked away. But I'm telling you that I'm sending you there for that purpose. Revive my work. And look what God has done at Sanctuary Church. God is reviving a work here. God is doing something great through this church. And I thank him for it today. I'll come back to the scripture in just a moment. I want to mention something else. It was the prophet Ezekiel who was whisked away by the spirit. And he found himself overlooking a valley of bones. But they were not just a valley of bones. They were a valley of very dry bones. And he's looking upon those bones. And he hears the word of the Lord ask him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? And he said, Lord, thou knowest. He said, then go ahead. I want you to begin to preach, prophesy. Preach to these bones, son of man. And so that prophet of the Lord got up and began to preach about things coming back together. Things being established once again. And as he preached, I wonder what went through his mind when he began to hear a rattle take place in that boneyard. And bones began to reconnect one to the other. And, and the, the, the arm bone connected to the shoulder bone. And, and all of a sudden, this army stood up. It was an army of bones. And, and he said, but you're not done yet. Preach some more. And he got to preaching some more. And as he did, he said, he said, organs began to come back into those bones. And flesh began to grow over those bones. And, and the sinew came on. And, and, and all of a sudden, they, they, they were, they, they, there was fleshly people standing there in front of me again. And then the Lord said, but we're not done yet. I'm not just bringing bones back together, and I'm not just putting flesh back on them, but I'm not done till life comes back into them. And everybody else says it's, it's done, but now I want you to prophesy to the wind. And he began to speak to the wind, and he said, Blow, wind, blow. Blow into these bodies, wind. And when it did, they were filled with the breath of life again. And there they stood, an exceeding great army because sometimes God does the most unexpected things in the most unexpected ways that's why I want to read this next verse to you Habakkuk 3 and 3 it says this God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran Selah 
His glory covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. You have to understand what this is saying. It's letting us know that sometimes God comes from a place you didn't think he could come from. Teman means from the south. Specifically, it was the place of the descendants of Esau. They were born. Esau, you have to remember, was born after the flesh. Esau was the son of Abraham and Hagar, his handmaid, that Sarah told him to take and, 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 and to, uh, excuse, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was the firstborn, and he was the one born of the flesh. Jacob was the one born of the spirit. And, and, and Esau represents that which is fleshly. And he had a son named Teman. And Teman established a place. And the Bible said, that's okay. God can come from even the most fleshly of places. God can come from the south. God can come from where you think nothing good can come from. God can come from the places you've already written off. God can come from the places that you say there is no hope for. He said he came from Teman. The Holy One came from Mount Paran. That means it's a place of caverns. It was a place in the desert and in the wilderness. It's a place where everything goes to hide. It's a place where everything is tucked away. It's a place where there is no light, it seems, that can get into it. It is a place of caverns. It's a place in the desert. It's a place in the wilderness. It's dry. And the scripture said, yet our God, that's where he came from. And sometimes we get to looking and we say God can only come to us from church or God can only come to us from a preacher or God can only come to us from this, that, or the other. But I'm telling you today, don't you discount where my God can come from. Our God can come from Teman. Our God can come from Mount Perrin. He is a great and a mighty God. And so that God chose a mere stable as the birthplace of the greatest answer the world has ever known. And all of Israel couldn't see it at that moment because they expected that their God would come riding in in glory. Their God was going to come in. And he was going to be, uh, he was going to be exalted in the eyes of all the world. And surely when he comes, there will be an army with him. Surely when he comes, he'll come with all of the circumstance that would surround such a gathering. And yet they didn't know that our God was the Savior in a stable. Our God was the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was the Messiah in a manger. We cannot fathom and we cannot understand all the ways in which our God chooses to work. But I'm telling you today, God can come from any part of your life that you've written off. Anything that you've said there is no way, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. For the bill, if you'd come help me this morning, our God can make a way where there seems to be no way. I remember, I'm, I'm going to close with this story. We had been in Garden for a while. My dad pastors in Garden. And uh, when we went to Garden, oh, that's just a little logging community and there's, there's not much there. There is no stoplight in Garden, Arkansas. Not one. Um, there, 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 uh, it, there's a Sonic. 
and they're very excited because they just got a new gas. They closed one of the other gas stations. They just got a new gas station, and it's got a Pizza Pro in it. Everybody's excited about that. Oh, it's got a little Baskin Robbins in it too. And uh, so that I mean that they're really uptown now. We lost the Piggly Wiggly some years back, and uh, we don't have our own grocery store there no more, but. Uh, you can drive to Arkadelphia if you need to for that. We went to Gurdon years ago, and <laughs> we had this building that we had church in. People call Pentecostals holy rollers. We were the real holy rollers because the floors were so sloped that if you tripped, you was going to roll. <laughs> and um, it was it was something else. They had just installed indoor plumbing in that church just shortly before we got there. If you can believe that. And it was just, just, just a little old place. <laughs> there was somebody started coming to church. His name was Tim. Tim Riley. Tim was a good young man. And he came from really, really tough circumstances. Really tough circumstances. Matter of fact, Three generations of their family was living in a place. And the newspaper that was nearest where they lived out in the boonies had dubbed where they lived Rileyville. Because it was all these this family who all lived together. And none of them were educated. None of them had, had probably gone past, the I think, the third grade at that particular time. They just, at, when they would get a certain age, they'd all drop out and they'd all begin to work and... And uh, it, it, they just came from really meager circumstances for their day and age. And Tim started coming to church, and Tim became hungry for God. And God did such a great work in Tim's life. And um, he became, he, he just kind of became one of those people you knew you could count on in the church, you know? Just one of those folks that you knew that if, if you needed help, Tim. He's the guy to go to. And my dad began to lean on him and kind of began to look at him as, as a son, really. And uh, one night, Tim was out working. Uh, they had, he had shortly been married, I don't know, a couple of years, and they had just had a baby. They just had a baby. He was just a couple months old. And uh, Jeffrey uh, was his name. And Jeffrey was born with a particular syndrome. Uh, where he is mentally handicapped and physically very, very handicapped. And they were walking through that valley. and uh, Just a difficult thing. And one night, Tim was at work at a plant that my dad helped him get on to work at. And they were working on a piece of equipment, and they thought it had been locked out properly. And uh, apparently something wasn't done just right. And as he was working, all of a sudden, a metal bar... Uh, was because of the, the tremendous weight, thousands and thousands of pounds of something that had been lifted. A metal bar popped loose and went flying across the, the room they were in. It hit Tim in the back of the head. It killed him instantly. He was gone. And so my dad went and made a death notification. that They called, and they knew my dad there, and they called him and said, Pastor, you, we don't want to go tell his wife by ourselves. Will you go with us? And So dad met him. They went. They told Carla, dad and mom went to tell her. And uh, 
course, devastated her. And she got this boy with so many issues in life that she's going to have for the rest of his life. And to get this news after they had just been trying to wrap their minds around that news. And uh, they're, uh, they're trying to walk through all of that. And yet, and yet, it was just a week or two after that. His family came to that service, that funeral service. And the presence of God was in there so strong because God just has a way of honoring faithful people. And the presence of God was in that room so strong. And several of his brothers said, you know what? We've been watching Tim for the last few years and his life has so changed. Can we come to your church Sunday, Pastor? Dad said, sure you can. And Rick and Bobby and Jim, his brothers, came to church. And um, God touched them. And the same God that had changed Tim's life began to change Rick's life. And began to change Bobby's life. And began to change Jim's life. I want to tell you today that there's some of the greatest saints in the Garden Church you'd ever want to meet. I don't know why the Lord does everything like He does. But sometimes we find God from unexpected places. They didn't expect to be at a funeral for their brother that day. Yet something happened. And the Lord said, it's okay, in the middle of this, I can come and I can change a life. He was the Savior in a stable. Nobody saw our God coming from that direction. Yet here He came. And I want you to know today that it doesn't matter where you are. And it doesn't matter where you feel like life has brought you. I want you to know that God can rise up in the middle of it in just a moment of time. All it takes is for somebody to begin to call on Him. And as we call on Him, He will immediately be where we are. But you don't understand where I'm... I'm telling you, God will come from Teman. I'm telling you, the Holy One will come from Mount Perrin if you will just call on Him. And in this room today, there are undoubtedly people who are walking through things in life that you need to call on Jesus. And you need God to come to where you are. I'm telling you today, you're in the right place. I'm telling you today, He's going to hear you when you call. And God will come running to where you are. He'll come running to where you are. Could we stand together this morning? It may look unlikely, but he has always specialized in working from less than ideal circumstances. So while you're counting something as loss, I'm going to be bold today and I'm going to declare to you that God's getting ready to use it for your gain. He can and he will do it. Here's what I would love for us to do today. Before we dedicate a baby, I would love if we would step out from where we are and we would say, God, I just want you to know if I've got to go to a stable, if I've got to go to a cat, it doesn't matter. But wherever you want to come from to get these things resolved in my life, 
Lord, I will be there. I'll meet you there. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But God, I'm hungry for you to work in some situations in my life. All of us in this room have things that we need God to help us with. Would you step out from where you are today? Could you just kind of make your way toward the front of this church? And let's just call on the Lord together. Could we do that? Maybe you just come and just spend a little time talking to God in prayer. You can stand. You can kneel. Whatever it is you need to do. But I'm telling you, there is a God who can join you where you're at. He can come out of the most unlikely place. He will meet you where your need is. He is a good God. He is a good God.